Tanner, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We're going to be reading out of the book of Romans today, so I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring us any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back with you guys here again tonight. And honestly, this I haven't preached up here in four weeks. And so I feel like a wind-up toy that has just been, the spring has been coiling and coiling and coiling. So I'm going to try to contain my excitement and slow my rate of speech. But y'all, we are here at our last Oxano of the semester. And also our last sermon here in this series, Stand, as we've been considering spiritual warfare together. I was in the fifth grade, okay, circa 2001. And I was going through... Uh, my bi-weekly, like every other week, music elective class with Miss Morris, okay? Now, she was probably just a little bit bitter because like, she didn't get like, the nice music space for the fifth graders. She was like underneath the bleachers of the football stadium in like, this converted room. And so, I mean, she was already just a, a, a teensy bit bitter. But I was going through just my, my own business in class one day when all of a sudden I get this scowl, just laser eyes right in my direction, Blake Jenkins, come up here. And I was like, I mean, just completely blindsided. Somehow, Miss Morris had thought that I was telling her that she was number one, but with a different finger. And so there was all this other kind of stuff. And I was just, she accused me in front of the whole class of flipping her the bird. And I was just like, fifth grade Blake, mortified. I mean, I had been to vacation Bible school every summer since I could. And I was not about to be accused by Miss Morris of saying that I flipped her the bird in the middle of fifth grade every other week, music elective. It was ridiculous. I was offended. And so what does fifth grade pious little Blake do? He goes and he starts a petition. I go, I tear out a sheet of loose leaf paper with little frilled edges on the side. Blake Jenkins would never flip off Miss Morris in the middle of bi-weekly music elective. Would you sign this, please? 
Gosh, I was like one of those annoying people like in Sam's Club or whenever you're going across the quad. Do you have just a minute for a survey? You know, I was asking people whatever they could do to come over here and to say, to verify that I could quell the accusations of Miss Morris and her biweekly music elective class. You know, it's one of those things like whenever we feel we're accused, we have the need to defend ourselves, right? Especially if we did not do the thing that we've been accused of doing. And so we'll go, we'll retreat to our reputation, we'll retreat to other sources, we'll retreat to the record, and we will find ways to be able to stop the accusations that are coming our way. But y'all, there are sometimes when the accusations and they come our way when they are exactly right, when they're on point, and when there's no way that you feel like you are going to be able to turn the tide, right? Whenever you see those blue lights coming up, when they've got a reading on a speedometer, like, and they, they've got you, on your speeding, right? There are some sort of accusations that you're just not going to be able to argue with, that there's not anything else that you can appeal to. There's not anything that you could go around and sign a petition. Blake Jenkins would not speed in this area, right? No, that there are sometimes that accusations, they match what we've done. And there's nothing else that we can appeal to. And then there are sometimes that when we go through these accusations, They come not just from the outside. They come not just from the police. They don't just come from fifth grade music elective teachers. But a lot of times the accusations can come from within. A lot of times these accusing thoughts that we can feel the guilt, the shame, the condemnation coming in from the outside. And as we've been going through this series on spiritual warfare, it's all been building up. It's all been leading until this point two weeks ago. We were able to lay down in very quick fashion the fact that there is an enemy right? And he would seek to undo us, to trip us up, to lead us away. He's actually pictured as this lion prowling around, seeking someone to devour. There's an intentionality, there's a ferocity to his pursuit of us. But then last week, Cole, bro, thanks again here just in this gathering. Thank you for preaching for us last week so faithfully. As we were going through, and as he was in Ephesians chapter 6, and he was talking about the armor of God that has been gifted to us. We're in the middle of a battle, but we are not ill-equipped. That as we are going through, as we are standing here in the middle of it, just not the fact that there's an enemy, but God has so equipped us with his very armor. And now as we are standing, as we are resisting in the victory that Christ has already won for us, and we look forward to the day where all of it will be defeated finally and where it will no longer be a part of the everydayness of this world. We still live here and now And there's an enemy. And one of the names that the enemy has that we see in Revelation chapter 12 is that of the accuser. That he is the one who loves to bring up the laundry list of sins. He's the one who loves to play the highlight reel of the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us. And I'm here to tell you tonight That the good news is that you don't have to appeal to a good reputation. You don't have to appeal to your past performance. You don't have to appeal to anything within yourself. All you have to do is look to Christ. And as we go to this passage, Romans chapter 8, one of the most glorious chapters in all of Scripture, and it all leads to this. There's a freedom that has been purchased for us, that has been given to us. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Paul, right here, he starts off by asking, what should we say to these things? And you're like, well, what are we talking about? What things is he talking about? You could be talking about like all the things that he set up in the book of Romans until this point, chapters 1 through 8, verse 30. You could say all that. You could say, oh, it's all just the things in chapter 8 up until this point. But we know, at least that with this immediate context, that it is at least what is happening in Romans 8. And what are some of the highlights that we can see through this? That in the very beginning, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Or so you are free. In Christ, we are free to live free. Or you skip on a little bit further down. He says, we have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but rather we have received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That we have been brought into a family. We now have a place to belong. We're free, but not free just to go about living life however we want to. But we are now brought into the fold, brought into the family of God. But not only are we just brought into the family, but we are now actually cared for. That the Holy Spirit, would say later on in Romans 8, that the Holy Spirit is actually groaning for us with words too deep to understand. That he's actually praying for us, interceding for us. So we're not just free to go about and do anything else we want. We are freed and brought into a family. We're not just brought into a family. We're cared for because it's possible to be part of a family. It's possible to be a part of a family and to be not taken care of. Like Cinderella, right? <laughs> and just because you're brought into a family, just because you're adopted, doesn't mean that it's going to be a good experience. But we are brought in and we are cared for. The intimacy, the fellowship, the closeness with God. And he says... What should we say in response to all of these things? These glorious truths. If God is for us, then who can be against us? For some of you that are here tonight, this will be one of the things that you need to hear more than anything else this week. More than any extra study session, more than filled out study guide, test tips from your professors. You need this more than anything else. That you, God is for you. God is for you. How do we know this? We can know this when we look to the cross. If you want to know that God is for you, look to the hill called Calvary. Because it says right here, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That God the Father in sending his son and God the Son coming of his own will as well, able to accomplish salvation on our behalf. And if he is able to do that, the hardest thing in redeeming humanity and bringing him back to himself, then he can do the lesser in being able to give us all things. Now this doesn't mean that he's going to Give us every item on our Christmas list from here on out, right? Doesn't mean Amazon wish list, might as well just be in the closet. It doesn't mean that we're just going to instantly get everything that we want. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from trouble in this life. But what it does mean is that God has given us everything, as Scripture would say elsewhere, that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. That we now have access to a relationship with God. 
And at that fundamental level, if we have that, then we have everything. And if we are trying to add other things to the equation, if we're having Jesus plus something, that actually equals nothing. But it is Christ and Christ alone, as we have, as we have sang, that it is only Christ. We now have everything that we need. We can look to the cross and we can see that God is for us. And as we look through this chapter, after he establishes that God is for us, there are four who questions. Did you notice that in reading? It's interesting to be able to go through it. We're going to trace out each one of these who's. He says at the beginning, who can be against us? If Christ is on our side, then no one can be against us. There might be those that would try to set themselves up against us in school, in work. Some of you, having talked to you, you even experienced this in your family. That there are those that would seek to persecute, stand against you. But it's not just against flesh and blood. But we, as Cole said for us last week from Ephesians 6, our struggle is not just against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities, the authorities, and all manner of darkness. Y'all, there is a battle that is going on. And there will be those that will set themselves up against us. But we can hold on to the fact that Christ is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? The rhetorical answer to that rhetorical question is no one. No one can be against us. That's the first who question. Look at the second who question in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Not only is there no one who can stand against you, but there's no one who can bring anything against you. Maybe y'all um, have been able to see in Sports Center. You know, you watch Sports Center. If nothing else, maybe when you're at the doctor's office or getting a haircut, something like that that's on there if you're not a sports person, right? But you see the Sports Center, and occasionally on Sports Center, you get to the end of the hour right before it starts looping back again. One of my favorite parts of Sports Center where you get to the top 10 plays, right? When you're able to see the top 10. And, oh yeah, Marty, you're able to see from week to week. And of course, you know, it's growing up in intensity and in just, oh, my goodness, jaw hitting the floor. I can't believe they're making these amazing plays. People leaping over, robbing home runs, people giving big hits. You know, not as much anymore. They're kind of changing the game. That's neither here nor there. But we're going through, right? And then we're there with the top 10 plays. But then you also have something called the not top 10. Are you all familiar with these? That these are just kind of the biggest flubs, right? These are the plays where they're going through and the people are just making fools of themselves, right? That they're going through and they get a, let a ground ball just go directly between their legs, right? That they're going through and they try to dunk it and it just bounces back and hits them in the forehead. That there are these embarrassing plays that folks are making. And it's kind of the not top ten. The things that people wish that they could erase from the record but that are being brought up again and again. That there are those things that we just wish would kind of fade away, but that cycle back through on repeat. And it can be the same way on the screen of our minds. That it can be in 4K, 120 hertz, full ultra HD. And it will be the highlight reel of our sin. And it's the accuser coming. Maybe you feel like you've been trying to step out in obedience. You've been trying to witness to a friend or to a family member, but then you hear this voice saying, I mean, who are you to tell them what is right? I mean, you're, you're not even living in step with that over here. 
Or maybe you're wading through a call to serve Him or to be able to go with the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then that voice comes in and says, Who are you? I mean, don't you know what you just did last night? You're going through and you're trying to walk in obedience. You're trying to discern the call. You're trying to fulfill what God has put in your path. And that voice comes and it's just one after the other, after the other, after the other. But it's in those moments that I would encourage you that that is the enemy. That is not the Holy Spirit. And what you can do in that moment with the enemy is you can say, all right, well, let's play this out. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at the highlight reel of my sins. Yeah, we'll look at all of the things that I have done and left undone. Okay, well, where, where are those things now? Because you're assuming that I still carry those things. But Scripture says that Jesus has paid for all sins at the cross. And that he sat down at the right hand of the Father on high, signifying that the work is done. He even said, it is finished. Am I right? So my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Yes, Satan, let's look at the cross where my sin was dealt with once and for all. Oh, wait, where'd you go? He doesn't like looking at the cross. And one of the things that the accuser will do will try to convince you that the sins have come off the cross and now they are being heaped back on you. But there at the cross, Christ took all of them. There was a transfer that took place. As 2 Corinthians 5 would say, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of of God, not just so that we could be morally neutral, not just so that we could be a blank slate, not just so that we could get another try to do this on our own, but no, so that we could have the very righteousness of God. That's what Christ has accomplished now has been as if you have accomplished it yourself. And that is what you walk in. That is the identity that has now been given to you. That is the power that you have. Don't let the accuser try to convince you otherwise that there is no one who can stand against us and there is no one who can come and bring any charge against us we get to the third who question who is to condemn Christ Jesus, verse 34, Christ Jesus, the one who died and more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. No one can stand against you. No one can bring any charge against you. And no one can condemn you. Paul is hearkening back to Romans 8 verse 1. The same chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation. For anyone who is in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Are you in Christ Jesus? No condemnation. If there is condemnation that is coming. Then it is not from the Lord. It is from the evil one. Now that is distinct from conviction that will keep us from sin and saying yes to Christ. But there is no guilt, no shame that Christ would heap upon you again. That there is no condemnation. Who's going to condemn you? The only one who could condemn you is Christ. And He has chosen not to. 
It's like Jesus with the woman at the well. Thrown down. Gospel of John in front of Jesus. What does he do? He starts writing in the sand. I don't know why, but I love it. Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. I don't know where the man is. But the law says that we must stone her. Keeps writing in the dirt. All right, well, I'll let you who's without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. And Scripture says one by one, beginning with the oldest, they dropped their stones and they went away. And Jesus at the end looks at the woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And he says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. That in Christ there is no condemnation. And that is not a license to go about living however we would want to live. But now we are to live as those who are free. If you were racking up tremendous amounts of credit card debt, right? Just swiping, swiping, swiping. You do that for years. Accumulate 100 grand, 200 grand credit card debt. And then someone comes along and they pay all of that off. And then in response to that weight being lifted that had been hanging over your head like an, or being like an anvil on your chest, and then if you were to go back out and just open up a new line, swipe, swipe, swipe. And you weren't now living as a free person, but now you were living back under that same bondage to sin and self and spending all the time. Then you're not living really as a free person. That for us who have now been declared free, We walk in holiness, not to earn a place at the table, not to earn a spot in the family, but to express the fact that God has so brought us in. And we now seek to live into what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. That there is no one to condemn. Christ is the only one he has chosen not to. He was the one who died and more than that was raised. And what is he doing right now? He is indeed interceding for us. You know, we talk a lot about, I mean, there's kind of shorthands, you know, little buzzwords that work their way into Christianity sometimes. Um, one right now, you know, I think a lot of times is, and I say it all the time because it's so good, but God, we just thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Y'all have heard that? God, we just thank you for who you are and for what you've done. That's a good thing to say because we need to be thankful. And he is our God who has done things. And who is good. But sometimes we, we, it's almost like we just relegate it only to the past for who you are and for things that you've done. And we sometimes just neglect the fact that God is doing something right now. So if I were to add something to that, God, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done and what you're doing right now. Because Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again, he ascended, and his ministry right now is he is interceding for you. He is praying for you. I'm not fully convinced that we're always living like Jesus is alive today. That we are somehow numb to the fact, or maybe we're not numbed, but we're just preoccupied with other things that are going on. But Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. Um, Martin Luther, Protestant reformer, remember from history class, 1500s, you know, nailed, 
95 Theses, Castle Church, Wittenberg, whole nine yards, right? Launched this huge movement. We're kind of still in it today, right? It's one of those things that he, he had a wife, Katarina Von Bora. And I tell you, y'all, she could spit it with him. Like there was, I mean, he was, he was a fiery writer, but I mean, he held no candle to his wife. And there was one time she was talking about how he was just inconsolable. That there were, it wasn't anything crazy, but she was just trying to exhort him, to encourage him, to walk and obey this, that, and the other. And he was just so glow, gloomy, ho-hum all the time. And so Katerina, what she does one day is she puts on all black. She, like she's about to start singing a dirge and going to a funeral. And Martin's like, Katie, what are you doing? And this is what she says to him. She said, well, the way you've been acting, it's like God's been dead. And so I'm just going to join you in your mourning. And I'm just like, dang, that's a sick burn theologically, right? You know, you're coming through and you're, and you're just like, but... It's, it's funny, but the point, it comes through so clearly that a lot of times we're living as if God is dead, but he's not. He's alive. And because Jesus is alive, that changes everything. It's not just that he's alive, but what is he doing now that he's alive? He is praying for us. There's a ministry of intercession. And because of this, we should live and be courageous for him. Robert Murray Machane, that's just a cool name. You know, I mean, it's Robert Murray Machane, he was a Scottish theologian from the 1800s, and this is what he had to say. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. Christ is praying for me. That if you were to think about, not just hypothetically, but in reality, if you knew that Christ was praying for you, if he was interceding for you, if he was standing in the gap on your behalf, how might that change the way that you live? The bold steps that you were able to take, the faithfulness that you were able to follow in, the risks that you were willing to take, that Christ is praying for us. He is doing things right now on our behalf. And y'all, let this thought consume your mind. Because there will be a lot of other thoughts that will seek to come in and take up real estate up here. Right? There will be a lot of different things that we will need to wage war against. And y'all, you know the thoughts that I'm talking about. The thoughts that you would shudder to think of anybody else knowing what was going through your mind. The things that you can't even believe somehow maybe that are going through up here. That they, don't, they somehow don't feel original to you. But it's in your own voice, like the voice in your head. And you're trying to figure out. You, you have this shame. You have this guilt. You haven't done anything, but it's there. Why am I struggling with this? Why am I being tempted in this way? Why do I have this desire? Why is that? I don't want this there. It's the ploys of the enemy. The schemes of the devil. Trying to come in and trying to take up real estate. It's like what Cole was talking about last week, that we have the shield of faith. Why? What is it used for? It's to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. That the enemy has darts that he wants to come, to penetrate, to set small fires that will burn everything down. But we have the shield of faith that we can use to extinguish these very darts. 
We have thoughts that can consume us, that can push these things out. The temptations you feel, they're real. They're the schemes of the enemy. They're hateful darts. But I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones. Sally Lloyd-Jones, she's the one who uh, wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, if y'all are familiar. Um, You know, it's crazy with the book stall out there. You guys just ate them up. We sold 10 of them in two weeks. It's crazy. But we read it every day with Thomas. But Sally Lloyd-Jones, she also wrote this devotional book. It's called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. And as we go through and as we read, it's, I mean, it's often very simple enough for a child to be un, able to understand, but profound enough to just leave me speechless. But she has this to say. You can see it up here. This picture of a bird's nest on a young girl's head. And... I wanted to be able to do like what we do with Thomas because he always wants to be able to see the pictures. But thank you, Zach, our minister of magnification, being able to throw that up on the screen for us. It says, no birds' nests. Sometimes bad thoughts just land in your head from nowhere. Is having an awful thought a sin? When Jesus was tempted in the desert, Satan whispered awful thoughts and lies to Jesus to tempt him away from God. It's not the thoughts that count. It's what we do with those thoughts. Jesus didn't listen to those awful thoughts. He didn't believe them. He sent them away. An old proverb says, you can't help it if birds come and land on your head, but you don't have to let them build nests in your hair. The verse that she would encourage the family to read together is 2 Corinthians 10.5. We take, every, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was an Anglican minister in England who said that we do a whole lot of listening to ourselves when we should start doing more talking to ourselves. Because you see, there will be these thoughts that come and they like birds will land on your head, but I love this. You don't have to let them build nests in your hair. They don't have to be able to have a home in your heart, in your mind. Because there is no one that can condemn us. Christ is the only one. And He has chosen rather to say, no condemnation. Taking it on Himself. And that brings us to the last who question. Verse 35. Paul spends double the time expounding upon it, but I will not. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or distress or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No separation. And you see, the thing about it is, Paul is able to write this, and he has experienced all of this. 
All of it. 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. Paul's laying out the laundry list of all of the things. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake bitten. He's been stoned. All of these other kinds of things. Not, not that kind. You know, it, he's been hit with rocks. And so he's going through and he has experienced the full weight of all of this persecution, opposition, condemnation, standing against. All of this could come your way. And still, he's saying, that doesn't mean that God's love has left you. Who can separate us? Nobody. Nothing can separate us. Trouble, distress, persecution, nakedness, danger, it all brings us closer to him. It all draws us to deeper dependence upon him. The sword, it brings us even closer to him. The evil enemy can't even accomplish his purpose. If they kill us, we go to be with him. Because of the work of Christ, death is turned into a flunky that just opens the door into the presence of God. That we now, in following Christ, can say that in all of these things, not we're going to avoid these things, but in all of these things, we're not exempt, but we will be in them. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through Him who loved us. There is no separation. There is fellowship sweet and sublime. And going through, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if we were to think about these four who questions and draw them together, it makes a whole lot more sense when we think about it in a legal perspective. Like even in our modern day legal system, right? You have beef with someone. Right, or, I don't even know if y'all still say that. It's one of those that you, you, you have a, you, there's a scuffle, right? There's a disagreement. That, that somebody has wronged someone else. There's an offended party, right? Opposition, standing against. Well, then it reaches the level where somebody's going to charge somebody with something. I'll see you in court, right? And then you show up in court and what happens? Well, then after the evidence is considered, everything is weighed, then what does the judge do? He pronounces a verdict. And if you are guilty, then, then you are condemned. And depending on the severity of the crime, then you might even be separated, taken out, removed, plucked from your own home and all of those that you would love and from society itself. And Paul, as he's going through, as he is creating this legal argument with these four who questions and the progression who can stand against you? Who will bring any charge against you? Who will condemn you? Who can separate you? Well, think about it. It is with all of these. It's Jesus. Who can stand against us? It's Jesus. But the thing about it, he's on your side. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can bring a charge? Jesus. He can bring a charge. But rather than doing that, it says that he was the one who justifies, declares righteous, speaks merit on our and your behalf. Who's the one who can condemn? Jesus. But rather than condemn, he says no condemnation. Freedom. Freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And who can separate? Jesus. But rather than separation, He brings you in. 
as Paul would say elsewhere, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That we now in Christ, with each of these things as he has been tracing, that no one can stand against us, no one can bring a charge, no one can condemn, no one can separate. Why? Because Jesus is standing in the gap on our behalf. And because this is true, your life can be different. That you no longer have to listen to the lies of the evil one. You no longer have to buy into the accusations. When he tries to heap the sin, when he tries to throw back the chains on you, you don't have to bear it anymore. There is freedom in following Christ. Being able to walk day by day with the one who created you and the one who redeemed you, who bought you back. You don't have to listen to the accuser anymore. And one day, he will be dealt with fully and finally. As Revelation 12 says that the accuser will be thrown with all of his workers into the lake of fire. And death will be gone and will be no more. Sin done away with. And I can't even begin to imagine what a world and a body without sin will be like. But I cannot wait for that glorious day. When there will be nothing separating, nothing warring, nothing waging, no tension. And it won't just be paradise, but it will be paradise with Christ himself. We will be with the one who made us and the one who saved us. This is the only way that we can stand. This is the only way that we're able to resist the devil and believe the promise that God's word says in the book of James. To resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why? Because his arguments don't hold water. His logic is flawed. His evidence has been dealt with. All our hope is found. In the hands of Christ our King. May our lives be found. In the hands of Christ our King. Let us pray. Holy Father we. Confess that we need help. To believe these things. Because the lies. The accusations. The weight. Of the thoughts feel so strong and so persistent and so constant. And the truth sounds too good, too easy. But Christ, we thank you for doing the hard work and for offering this free gift. God, I pray that you would help us to lay ourselves down, to cease striving and trying to do this on our own. And will we remember your goodness, your faithfulness, and how you have worked such a great salvation on our behalf. For those here that are struggling with persistent thoughts, that the highlight reel is just on loop and is looming larger each and every day, would you help them to remember Christ? There is no one who stands against 
No one to bring any charge. No one to condemn. No one to separate us from you. Would you help us to walk in obedience that you have purchased for us? We can't do this on our own, Lord. We can't do this in our own strength. Would we be strong in you and in the strength of your might? We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, y'all, thanks so much for listening with us this year at the Oxano Podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you and that you have a great summer. We'll be sure to catch back up with you again in the fall. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following Him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.